This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the weekly visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I say weekly every time, and it really depends on the week, because this one is a little over a week because my partner in crime here has been a little under the weather. That my partner in crime is Bethany, my daughter, and I'm Pastor Dan, and it is our privilege to lead you in this visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh, where presently we are studying Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This is episode 11. It's being recorded on May 19th, 2019, and we're looking at book two, chapter five, The Practical Conclusion. We are at the point, Bethany, where this book is about to change gears. It's still everything that old Jack said it would be, but it's going to start getting into some more specific conversation about Christian morality and so forth. But for now, we're wrapping up the uh, basic discussion of Jesus and uh, Christ as the as the ultimate answer or the practical conclusion. So that's where we are right now. Um, one of the things that we want to talk about is to start anyway to uh, to ask the question: Christ's perfect surrender and humiliation as God Man brought about what kind of change in mankind? Sorry, I'm still getting my head on. Read it one more time, please. So Christ's perfect surrender and humiliation as God-man brought about what kind of change in mankind? So Christ's sacrifice brought about for humanity, not merely the ability to follow his teaching, but to become the next step. The, from the evolutionist point of view. In other words, okay. what Jesus has done, and that was really on our, our radar in Sunday morning services mm -hmm. today as I was talking about the resurrection form. But before we're resurrected, we're already due for an upgrade. And so to use my own language, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis's language, Christ not only has brought about good teachings but he's also enabled the next step in our evolution as humanity um, namely to become like him to be a new kind of person person possessed by a new kind of life and yeah. so what you might call it is being born again yeah because he says like that that the evolutionary next step has happened yeah. Like that evolutionist would say it hasn't happened yet, but he says it has happened because we're born again. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is the next level of humanity. And then of course the resurrection is when we become more precisely refined, I guess. That's when we're all the way evolved. Yeah. Now it's like in Pokemon. I only know it because of Nathan, because I don't care about Pokemon. Yeah, I but, wouldn't know anything But the about Pokemon, Pokemon starts as, like, one thing, but then it can evolve and, like, max out as, like, this really big, awesome version of itself. Okay. So we just, we'll do the same thing. 
So for all of you out there who have children or grandchildren who have any interest in Pokemon, you may have received some sort of information <laughs> of some value to you. <laughs> we'll see. The, uh, the interesting thing is that, that uh, Jack C.S. Lewis has a... Uh, he makes some comments about evolution, by the way, doesn't he? And he, he has an opinion... I find, and, and I, I just want to qualify this to say that I had come to my own conclusions about a lot of things before I became fairly well-read in C.S. Lewis uh, material. And what makes me so happy is that I came to a lot of the same conclusions he did, albeit with less scholarly influence and so forth. So I guess what I'm saying is the truth is truth, and one of the ways you recognize it is when people come to generally the same conclusions from different directions because the fact is always the thing. And he speaks of evolution the way I've always thought one should speak of evolution, which is to say that creatures are designed by a loving and benevolent creator <coughs> who gives them the ability to adapt Mm -hmm. and overcome environmental uh, issues that might prevent them from surviving. And I would call that a kind of evolution. But, of course, the purest definition of the evolutionist point of view is, is that it all starts from a common origin and it's just a series of accidents. And mm -hmm. basically that's what C.S. Lewis says, is that he absolutely agrees that create, the creator has given all created things the capacity to adapt and become a better version of itself in order to survive and thrive but he doesn't he stops there because he would never agree with people thinking that somehow it's all a random accident and mm -hmm. that you know and that somehow you know some little microbe in the water ultimately developed at least one creature that crawled out and became the origin of man or something you know that and and so um, I just thought I'd take that little aside there. No, yeah, that's good. So, um, what are your thoughts on three ways the new Christ life is spread to us? Well, it sounds to me like what Lewis is talking about is sacraments. Because he talks about baptism, Holy Communion, and then he also talks about belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did chuckle because, like, he mentioned that his Methodist friend mm -hmm. would prefer that he talk more about belief and less about the other two, which just I thought was really funny. Um, but, but yeah, he talks about those three things being how how we function as Christians and how we spread Christ mm -hmm. so, through yeah. ourselves and others. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so just as God made the spread of our physical life a rather odd process, in other words, procreation, he also made the spread of our new spiritual Christ life a rather odd process. Yeah. Through baptism, belief, bread and wine. He kind of, he compares, um, like, he, I mean, he did that, like, at the beginning of the chapter, but he kind of talks about how, like, it's equally weird to, th like, if you didn't know, it'd be equally weird to think, like, the process by which a new human enters the world mm -hmm. 
is kind of odd if you think about it. Sure. And and so he's like, so like I wouldn't have guessed on my own that baptism and communion and things like that are how you spread Christ's life. But I also, without knowledge, wouldn't have known that babies get made a certain way. It's uh, it's something his Methodist friend would have called the means of grace. <laughs> the means of grace are, in, in a Wesleyan sense, um, that's why I think his Methodist friend would have put it this way. He would have said, you know, God's grace is out there, but it's delivered in certain specific ways or means of grace. Mm-hmm. And some of the specific ways are through the sacraments. And yeah, you know. Um, well, and I think it's interesting because he talks about like how even though he doesn't just know it, like he ha- he says that like he sees evidence that tells him why he can believe that it's so. And I th- think it's interesting because he says like Jesus, like he showed his followers what he thought was important. Like he shows mm-hmm. himself being, he goes and is baptized. Right. And he teaches them the Lord's supper. Like he does that for them and shows them what to do. And so, and so C.S. Lewis says like, even though it's really bizarre and weird, it's on his authority and that's good enough. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, it's interesting because, because, uh, Old Jack says that he doesn't really understand why these three conductors mm-hmm. uh, to new life are necessary, but he defends them just the same right. because of what you just said. And he says the role of belief, baptism, and bread and wine as conductors of Christ's life are to be believed based on Christ's authority, just as you said. And what's really interesting thing is that... Uh, uh, you know, he goes on to say that, that this is because we know and take a lot of things of things to be true based on the authority of others. So he's basically saying, why should this be any different? Yeah, I loved it. He said, like, everything you've ever learned from history is believed, like, it's taken on author- someone's authority. And I was like, yeah, that that's true. <laughs> because... We weren't there to witness it. Yeah. So we're going up based on someone who seems to know something about it. Um, well, you know, our whole our whole lives are shaped around that. For example, um, much of what you learned as you were a small child, you just took it on faith because we did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I always use this example because your little brother is so magical, especially when he was little. He was just magical. Mm-hmm. And we go to hospitals a lot with him because of his uh, spina bifida. And and he used to think an elevator was the most marvelous thing <laughs> when he was two, four, two, three, four years old. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized one day why it was such a marvel to him. Because as far as he was concerned, we were getting in a magic box. I yeah. mean, it really did not occur to him that this was a conveyance that took you from one floor up or down to another floor. He just saw it as this magic box that we, the doors open, mom and dad confidently walk in, they push me in, and uh, we close the doors, and then a couple of seconds later, we're somewhere, we're somewhere else. else. Yeah. Now, if that isn't magic, yeah. you know, and so there's a lot that we take that way when you think about it. And uh, 
this one, you know, comes with the highest authority that we can imagine, so it's certainly acceptable. <laughs> so according to Lewis, what significance <laughs> do does our own effort have to copy Christ? So, so what's the significance of, of our copying Christ? So he he kind of likened it to just like your life in general like the life that you get by being born to human parents and a different color highlighter that's usually my sign that I really liked something <laughs> um but he talks about how like yeah you have like you got a life from your parents but like that's not the the end of it like you're your life's not going to stay if you don't do anything about it. Right. So he says, like, you can lose it if you're neglecting it. You can drive it away by killing yourself. But, and I marked, I wrote over here that I really liked this, and I feel like it's good for both kinds of life that he's talking about, because it says if you have to feed it and look after it, but always remember you're not making it. You're only keeping up a life you got from someone else. And I marked that, like, I feel like that's, significant for both kinds of your life yeah you yeah. got it from somebody else and you need to take care of it now nurture it so yeah jack goes way deep yeah into this conversation based on you know whether a person is good and what's the point of being good and does that but he sums it up so succinctly yes. this is one of the great quotable quotes of of c.s lewis he says that God, uh, that <laughs> he says he does not think God will love us because we are good, mm -hmm. but that God will make us good because he loves us. Yes. God will not love us because we were good. He will make us good because he loves us. Now that's powerful. Yes. And that really dovetails on what we were talking about in church this morning, which is to say that. You know, because this morning I was trying to drive home the point that we really need to see Jesus as a real, viable, physically flesh and blood part of our lives. And and not to think of him as a historical figure that we uh, believe in mm -hmm. and, and so forth. And I just, you know, and this kind of goes along with that. It's the understanding that if he's real, one of the ways you'll know he's real is that <coughs> he's changing you. Yeah you know that that you've entered into this relationship with christ and it changes you and i can attest to that there are many ways i look back on my life and realize that i've changed tremendously uh without losing my soul losing the very nature of who i am the very characteristics that set me apart from the rest of the world but i'm a better version of myself and the only explanation that's worth knowing is that he's made me that way and uh so he's basically saying the Christian does not believe that the Christ life in him is merely something mental or moral. Mm -hmm. He actually believes that Christ is changing the per the per So the Christian is believing that the Christian believes that Christ is reshaping them and changing them into another person. And uh, I think you know he. It's not enough to go through the motions of religion like baptism and holy communion and like it's those are great and important but you also have to actually do some heavy lifting and growth 
Well, like I mean, you have to attempt to be like Christ. Yeah, yeah, you have to do your part, but then he helps you to succeed. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I was just, like I said, this is one of my favorite chapters. In fact, this, this whole book is awesome, but it gets richer and richer as you go along. And one of the ways that, that it, this chapter is really interesting is that he explains in depth how, uh, you know, like, like, remember we were talking in the last episode about how God became man in order to do something God didn't know how to do. And in this way, he's talking about the physicality of the sacraments and yeah. why they're important. And he basically says, hey, it may be uh, material things as far as the immaterial God is concerned, but he became material himself. <laughs> and he likes matter. He invented it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I just another quotable Lewis thing, you know, well, <laughs> And I also liked where he's talking about how, like, the, like what you were talking about this morning in the service, and, like, they believe that Christ, that they're in Christ, and Christ is in them, and I kept picturing, this is another movie reference, but you know that movie Pacific Rim that came out? Yeah. A few years back. Pretty cool movie. Yeah. But they have these huge, I think they're called Jaggers, is that right? I don't remember. They're, like, these big robots, basically. Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, but, that's right. They... And, and there's two humans inside them that are like in these I don't it's like virtual reality almost they're in these like I don't know positions I'm with you where they like they when they move their hand the the robot's hand moves but it takes two people working together to to operate this robot and I was picturing that like Christ is in us operating us like yeah but we're doing it together yeah. But uh, yeah, so if you haven't seen that movie, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you've seen it, <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's I totally guess you can say, um, isn't that basically the definition of an android? Is that it? Or like it, an avatar? Yeah, it's sort of a a. Uh, yeah, avatar is probably a better word. Not like the movie Avatar. That's different. And yet, but we really probably shouldn't go there because that's not a good way to describe what we're talking about. Here, no, you know. It is that, that Christ in us changes how we interact with the world. The, yeah, and the image that I was picturing was like, the, it's a combined effort. Like, right. we're working together to operate this human body and this body of Christians, like he talks about. Like, that Christians are a physical organism. Like, they're God's... Like, I mean, people say it all the time, and I don't think they actually mean it, but, like, Lewis is saying, like, we're actually his hands and feet. Yeah. Like... Well, that was in the message again today, is if, if if you're having trouble believing, you know, that you would ever see the physical Jesus, his answer would be, you're seeing him when you look in the mirror, you're uh-huh. seeing him when you look at the Christian next to you. If you are a Christian, that is, if you have accepted Christ and you become part of the body of Christ, you are Christ's representation. Yeah. And it may be hard to believe you're meeting Jesus when you see a, you know, surly son of a gun like me and yet there are elements of me that are christ in every sense of the word and you know so we're christ to the world which by the way is what we say in the uh, in the lord's supper when we mm-hmm. talk about the the view of the sacrament is to say that you know give turn this 
turn this bread so that it's the body of Christ for us so that we can be Christ for the world. You know, it's the, it's the idea. And by the way, I keep referencing the sermon. Bethany's referenced it. You know, <laughs> if you haven't figured it out yet, you, you're listening to this on the same channel that plays those <laughs> sermons, too. So do recognize that if you're interested, you can hear the Sunday sermon uh, the same way you hear this. It's all part of the Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcast channel. And because we're late this week because of my voice, we're we're recording, like, hours after we yeah he, I, one person gave it and one person listened to it ironically um i haven't posted the sermon yet probably won't do that for another 12 hours or so <laughs> but here it is you know here's here's the the other one um so do you agree with lewis about god's arrangements about other people with regard to salvation and his new life well <laughs> Yeah, I do. Because, I I don't know, he says, like, that God hasn't told us his arrangements for other people, and it's not really our business. Mm -hmm. Which I think sounds, like, counterproductive to, is it wrong to say, people who are maybe a little more evangelical? Like, people who... Legalistic might be okay, a good yeah. word. And there's so a lot like, of legalism in church. Like, people who... Like, that's their, sh like, main goal is right. collecting people. Well, yeah, okay, so evangelical. Yeah, I, like... Yeah, I mean, we are all, I mean, I have an evangelical bent. I mean, we're all sort of commissioned by God to, you know, Christ said, go into the world baptizing in, in you know, in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So we're expected to share the good news with other people, but... It doesn't depend on us. That's the problem that so many yeah, people have. Is he that, says he says this great line where he says, like, if you're worried about the people outside, it's not going to do you any good to be outside, too. Yeah. Like, you got to make sure that you're where you should be first. Yeah, I mean, it, if, it, if it feels like it's all dependent on you, then you may have forgotten what it was that you had believed when you yeah. first believed. Because, because all all life transforming belief in Christ starts with surrender and surrender is the self. That is to say, it's not about me. It's not what I do. It's not how righteous I am. It, none of that matters. Mm -hmm. The only thing that matters is that Christ saved me. And if it's not for him, I'm lost. Yeah. And, and that's what brings about the salvation. And therefore, if you start believing that you have to get other people saved, you know, then you've kind of missed the point that, that well, God will settle all accounts as only says, God can. He says, like, if you haven't properly made yourself a member of a cell in the body of Christ, yeah, then you're not that useful. Yeah. Which, you know, and and I, I, he says something, I have to find it, but he says something about how, like, it's really not useful to cut off somebody's fingers so that he can get more work done. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. really work. Um. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with him there. Well, I think God is visible to the world in so many ways that the world is, you know, like, I, I'm sorry, but if something is beautiful, if something is emblematic of God's creative genius, and the person who participated in its creation, the sculptor, the painter, the, the 
you know, the landscape architect, whatever, you know, the person <laughs> who creates natural looking beauty is imitating God, whether they are conscious of God or not, whether or not I feel this way about surgeons and doctors and researchers, that they have been invited to explore the treasure trove of God's knowledge of the creation and whether or not they acknowledge God, it still acknowledges God. You know, the, the scripture says the heavens are telling the glory of the God mm -hmm. and, and all creation. And, and I think that's kind of how this really goes down. I think that, I think that uh, uh, people can be completely opposed to God and still um, express elements of God and God's creative genius all the time. I, mm -hmm. I just, I think that that, that is also, well, C.S. Lewis talks about this in, his, in this chapter. He says, you know, there are people out there who profess Christ who don't act very Christ-like. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there who don't profess Christ in any way, shape, or form who act more Christ-like. Well, and he says, like, that we know that no man can be saved except through Christ, but we don't know that people who don't know him Yeah, you, like, you gotta, we know that no man can be saved yeah, except through like, Christ, but we do not know how God is working where the gospel has yet to right. be fully proclaimed. Like, he says, we do not know that only those who know him can be saved through him. So we right. can't assume that people who don't have any knowledge of him can't be saved or like that they're not going to be reached somehow. Yeah, yeah. Because he's kind of a master. I think he's probably got a plan there. Well, and, and again, Lewis is brilliant in this because he just basically describes how there could be people who have certain tenets of another faith that we wouldn't necessarily agree are, are Christian in any particular way. And yet there are other things about the way they express their faith that are very Christ-like. Mm -hmm. And we have to assume that God and God's infinite wisdom takes all of that into account. Mm -hmm. So it isn't about behavior, but it is a question about how you feel about yourself. <laughs> I, I think if I've ever said anything quotable lately, it's going to be this one. When I said a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning that this isn't really so much about how you feel about God as it is about how God feels about you. Mm-hmm. And to recognize that that God isn't deciding whether or not to let you into heaven based on how you feel about God. Mm -hmm. God is deciding based on how God feels about you. And what God is looking for in you is an indication that you understand your place in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are people who may never have experienced the gospel. And there's plenty of them out there who have heard it, but they've never known it. Because there's a lot of people out there forcing Jesus down the throats yeah. of others who never really knew Jesus that way. You can't know Jesus because some person with a, a scorecard is determined to make all the people they can confess Christ. And well, I think that's what I was thinking of when I said that this what he's saying seems counterintuitive to certain kinds of Christians that I've met. Because there's certain people out there that you meet who it's like, I don't know. And even like when you go on mission trips when you're younger like when you're a kid I remember thinking that I wish they had spent more time teaching us and less time like giving us tracks and saying right go out and give these to people and I was like yeah but I, like I don't know that I'm ready for that yeah on my own like and so I think that maybe that's yeah a what if you that... gave them a track and and then you know a tract and yeah. then they came to you and said 
well, what does this mean? Explain yeah. this to me. Yeah. And I just, so I think there's, like you said, people with a scorecard, like. And it's a culture. It's something that's been sort of drilled into people's heads through generations, like most bad habits. And I don't, and know. I don't, I don't disagree. Like, you know, there's that. It's really another form of pharisaicalism, you know what I mean? I think I yeah, just made up a word. That but, was beautiful. You know, because the Pharisees just assumed that they had the lock on things, and the only way you're getting in was to do as they told yeah. you. And Jesus comes along and says, you guys are really off your rockers because you've missed the heart of the law. Well, and I don't want to say that I don't think it's important to, to help people find their way to sure. Christ, but... I well, just don't only, know that I think only God that. knows what your part in it is supposed to be. Yeah. And your role is to be open and flexible. Yeah. To simply say, I feel like God put me in this position so that I could share what I share. But that's why the Bible really refers to it as witness and, and testimony. Because anybody can tell another person what they've seen or heard mm-hmm. or what they know. And that's really all you're doing when you testify. Yeah. Um, but I remember, boy, you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, some of the kids that I knew back then, some of the young people, uh, they I want to share my testimony with you. And it was rehearsed. Mm-hmm. It was something they practiced in Sunday school uh-huh. class. And it was designed to get me, yeah. you know. And I would just, I would just say right now, <laughs> at this ripe old age that I am, I would say, look, you know, it isn't. It isn't a sales pitch. You're not trying to get anybody to buy something. You're simply asking them to consider Jesus. Yeah. And you're basing their need on what you, how your need was met. And you're saying, I think you could use this too. You know, and that's an entirely different. I guarantee you, if you were in the waiting room at the doctor's office and, uh, you know, you heard someone talking about their symptoms and, and then you said, you know, I've been listening to you talk and I, you know, I had that once and this is what I did and it really helped. Well, they're interested mm-hmm. and they'll try that and they get their notepad, notepad out and they'll say, well, where do you buy that? Well, you can get it at Amazon or you can go to the store and get it, you know, and because people do hunger for help. Mm-hmm. And so if we could learn to tell people about Jesus in a way like that. Yeah. That would be pretty remarkable. Now, that's a Jesus they would be interested to get Mm -hmm. to know. And that's really the essence of telling your testimony. So, if the spread of God's new life is so important, why does God envision still remaining so disguised and secret? God's invasion. I said that wrong. Why does God's invasion still remain so disguised and secret? I love this. It's simple. It's because he wants to give people time to find him and join him. Kind of what we were just talking about. Like my fate. I just love that. Like, yeah, he's going to come and he's going to come and like triumphantly, but he's waiting. You know, when I was a teenager, I've told you this story before and you, you've had some good chuckles, but you know, when I was a teenager, I was this Catholic kid from Pennsylvania and I got moved out to Oklahoma and all these nice Southern Baptist kids from the little town I lived in, uh, were so concerned about my future that they immediately tried to get me to go to church and get me saved. And 
you know, they went and told their parents or their youth pastor about me and, you know, the word was is this is one of the, you know, this kid is some strange papist from back east and we've got to get him fixed quick. <laughs> and and there was a sense when I would go to their church with them on Wednesday night or Sunday night that they were going to grab me by the collar and drag me at a run down to the center of the aisle to the altar and and I think at least a couple of times I did go to the altar, but it was mostly because I wanted to go out with the girl, right? <laughs> yes. You know, and then the yeah. next day she come to me in school and says, well, mom says we can go out together now. And I didn't understand, but they did. They thought they'd done what. And, you know, that isn't salvation. That, no. just, that doesn't change anybody. And, uh, you know, but it is entertaining to tell it that way. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he says like that once God lands, like once once it's once the world ends, like it's too late to pick your side. So he's giving you time to choose to <laughs> to take your chance, because otherwise, like once once yeah once it's over, it's over. God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying you are on His side when you see the whole natural universe melting away? Right. So, like, today is side? what you need. <laughs> now is the time. Now is the time. Okay, so so our study guide says this is an extra credit question. Oh, boy. At the beginning of this chapter and elsewhere in Mere Christianity, Lewis alludes to evolution. Do you think he is advocating for evolution? Well, we already covered yeah, that. Yeah, I think we talked about that. I think, I actually think probably his idea of evolution is closer to what it looks like in the origin of the species. Yeah. Because yeah. poor Darwin. He's, Darwin yeah. talked, and I mean, he'd like take the finches that he studied in Galapagos. He was looking at them and see, seeing like that they all had a single origin, it seemed, because mm-hmm. they were very similar. And I'd say... In terms of that, absolutely. But there's so many different islands with different, like, micro-ecosystems. Right. That these finches... This is your science lesson today. These finches adapted just a little bit differently. Bethany always wanted to be Miss Frizzle. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's so true. Um, But they, like, they, they developed these minor adaptations across these different this these different islands in the Galapagos archipelago um and but that was his idea of evolution is it yes it's survival of the fittest but it was survival of these finches with just the minorest tweaks and to me that like that's a sign of creation Mm -hmm. because like it's genius yeah, um, they don't just die off. They, they breed, and then when they breed, they they somehow change the genetics just a little bit to make them that much better at living on their particular island. And that's what this evolution that Lewis talks about is reminds me of. Yeah, I I think you nailed it, and it's it's you know I already said what I think earlier because I just said I I think that God designs in a loving way the ability to adapt into creatures and they do yeah but to say that god is not part of the created order and that god didn't well technically god isn't because he's the creator but i'm saying god you know the the evolution argument nowadays is more of a religion in of itself it's it's a cult 
there is an evolution cult that is so dogmatic in its own commitment to its own doctrine that for anyone to try to bridge the two is an abomination to Mm -hmm. them what they want us to understand is there is no god and that all of this is purely an accident well Mm -hmm. you know that's kind of like going to visit a magnificent piece of architecture or or visit a beautiful city and not acknowledge that city planners and architects and and uh, engineers and you know i i i admire bridges and things because i think they're fascinating and i remember to look at a beautiful bridge and then to say well isn't that neat the way that just happened i remember like i don't remember how old i was but the first time that i realized that cities are planned yeah like that they don't and i think it was indian i I realized it with indianapolis because indianapolis is circular (laughs) it really is planned but and well that's and and i had never really thought about it but then i realized like oh no like it's like someone thought this out because it's it starts at a circle yeah, and works just, its way out and they just didn't think big enough but, yeah that's you know <laughs> but but yeah like i i think y- there's like this moment where i was like oh yeah it's not just like someone built a house here and then somebody built a house here and da, 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 like someone put thought and design into it and yep. i think <laughs> that's a really and, good example you know of and to see so much design and thought in so many aspects of human existence and then to assume that we developed that capacity because an accident caused us i mean yeah. it's like it, yeah it's harder to believe evolution than it is to believe in a creator god i think so in my opinion mm-hmm. but and i have a feeling that's what old jack would say <laughs> Well, uh, what do you think? Are we about done? We've covered everything for this chapter. Next week it starts getting a little more interesting. Yeah, we're, we're on to book three. And book three is, is about morality, and, and old uh, Jack likes to talk about sex. Oh, boy. But thankfully it's the kind of sex I don't mind talking on the radio with my daughter <laughs> about, you know, because he's not talking about it in some disgusting way. He's simply talking about how uh, Christian morality you know, that, that people a lot of times dislike Christianity and religion in particular because it doesn't let them do what they want to do. And so he makes the case for why we don't do certain things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's going to be really fun. Um, it's, it's, this is good stuff. Yeah. So. Oh, I did think of something that's like, it's connected, it's adjacent to what we're talking about. Uh-huh. That would be a fun thing to end on. What's that? I just read a couple hours ago that Netflix is working on developing all seven Chronicles of Narnia books into, I don't know, film, TV, I'm not sure. Wow. But I'm, like, real excited about that because Netflix kind of has a history of being fairly successful with things like that. Yeah. And they want to do all seven. That's very which interesting. Which makes me real happy. Yeah. So it's adjacent because it's C.S. Lewis. Because, you know, last summer I was finally... I finally listened to the entire mm-hmm. set. Um, I admit it, I didn't read them, I listened to them, but they're unabridged, so I don't see how there's a difference. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, I've read a lot of C.S. Lewis stuff, but I never read the entire set. And, uh, in fact, I was talking with someone who listens to this podcast this morning, and, and he mentioned that he hasn't read it in a long time, but he really liked the screw tape letters. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just this afternoon, I discovered that there is a study guide that we can use to do screw tape mm-hmm. letters. So it might be fun. It might be fun. Yeah. I haven't read that one since we'll high school. Take a look at that. So middle school, maybe. 
Well, anything else for the good of the cause? Uh, I can't think of anything. All right, friends. Well, I want to thank you for listening again, and thank you for your patience as we try to get Bethany well and get back on schedule. But, uh, <laughs> you know, life happens, and uh, the nice thing is is that, uh, you know, we're not going to quit doing this. You just might have to wait longer between episodes once in a while. I want to thank you and uh, and ask you to continue to communicate with us through the Facebook group or send us an email or do like the gentleman did this morning. If you see me in church on Sunday, tell me you're listening. Yep. It means the world to us because we just, we just, you got to imagine we're sitting here in front of these microphones looking at each other and hoping that you're listening. <laughs> and it's nice to hear from you. And of course, if you do go on the Facebook group, you'll find that we have a, a silent partner who writes some pretty fantastic stuff Very awesome and stuff. Uh, we really want to encourage you to read those contributions as well because they add a lot to the discussion mm -hmm. so we look forward to seeing you hearing from you meeting you in person if you're in the southwest indiana area come visit us at shiloh united methodist church in jasper we're not too far from evansville if you're looking for us on the map if you're in the area, there's something going on at shiloh almost every hour of every day <laughs> and uh so we'd love to we'd love to see you just come on by but for now i'm just going to wish you god's blessing and goodbye bye